0: Hello, everyone. This is Miss Donna's podcast. The theme is Faith in a Crazy World. Well, now it's time to decide whether your faith is in this crazy world or is your faith in the God that made this crazy world. If it's the latter, then you well know the God that made this world is the only one that can fix it and guide us when things appear to be broken. The message today is coming from Proverbs chapter 16, verses 18 through 20, as well as Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 12 through 15, and verse 17. The title of the message is simply, Time Out for Proud, Time In for Humility. We live in a society that's filled with many uncertainties and many unanswered questions. What are we to do in a world that has its own set of standards that are contrary to the way we desire to live? What do we do when the temptations of this world try to suck us in with its deceptive standards? Do we succumb to the ways of the world or do we live by another set of standards? In the world, the successful man is the one who stores up the most. He operates on the principle of plenty. In God's kingdom, the successful man or woman is the one who gives the most away. The world says he who dies with the most toys win. The kingdom says he who gives away the most wins. God doesn't see the cup half full or half empty. He sees it overflowing. He says give and you shall receive. The world says it's not what you know, it's who you know. Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. The Bible tells us that all that is in the world is the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. So, what do we do? How do we live? How do we know the difference? Well, glad you asked. I have the answers. What do we do? We read the Word of God, which is the Bible. How do we live? We live according to what the word of God says. How do we know the difference? We know the difference by rightly dividing the word of truth, according to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. In Proverbs 16, verses 18 through 20, it reads like this. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Better to be lowly in spirit along with the oppressed than to share plunder with the proud. Whoever gives heed to instruction prospers, and blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. There is a constant war going on. Pride and humility are in a battle. Pride says, I will and I want. Humility says, he gave, so I give. Pride says, my life is complete. Humility says, I need more of Jesus. Pride says, serve me. Humility says, I'm here to serve. Pride says, take control of your life. Humility says, let go of your life. Jesus says, he who has found his life will lose it, and he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. Let me share a few examples with you of pride opposed to humility from the Word of God. There was an angel who was appointed for greatness. In fact, there was no one who had greater position than he did. This angel, without mention of name, was a worshiper. He led and directed all of worship. He had everything he needed and everything that he could ever want. But one day, he decided... That he did not want to lead worship. He wanted to be the one worshipped. In Isaiah, the 14th chapter, beginning with the 13th verse, it states this For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into the heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mounts of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Does that sound like pride or does that sound like humility? Ezekiel puts it this way in chapter 28, beginning with the 12th verse. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained it. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty. And you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. What happened to this angel that was known as Lucifer, who we know as Satan? Why was it so difficult for him to enjoy the blessings that had been bestowed upon him? Verse 17 gives us the answer It says, Your heart became proud on account of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. Pride eased its way in, and it took control. However, let's not forget, pride does not come without access. We can always go back to the beginnings and get a bird's-eye view of the origin of sin. When the serpent started conversing with Eve, she responded incorrectly. She gave him an open door to walk through. She listened to the lies of the serpent and never consulted her husband or God before she ate from the tree. Self got in the way and disobedience took over. Satan deceived her, true enough, but she gave him access. Let me give you another example. The Bible tells us of a rich man who grew crop on his land. There was a good season and the ground produced plenty of good crops. He had so much that he didn't know what to do with it all. Then came this brilliant idea. He said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared yourself for? There is one common theme in all of these examples. It's me, it's me, and me again. They could not see beyond themselves. Satan said, I will be like the Most High. The rich man said, I will say to myself, Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Eve made an exclusive decision of one, which was herself. She saw the fruit of the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eye, and desirable for gaining wisdom. She took it and she ate. They all had the same disease of I. Many of us have had the same disease ourselves. I want I will, I have, and I can." The greatest danger is that pride overtakes one's heart incrementally. Pride is subtle yet growing, a feeling that an accomplishment or a position has been realized by the strength or wisdom of the person's own gift, skill, or resources. Once God is excluded from sole honor, or not given thanks in the evaluation process, pride is given an open door. Too often we're caught up with the cares of this life and forget what's really important. We are so busy accomplishing things and acquiring prestige until we forget who gives us the ability and the resources to get what we have. It's called pride. Paul admonishes us in Romans 12 not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. Now, I know somebody saying, well, none of that applies to me. I'm not proud because I'm not wealthy, nor am I rich. In fact, I don't own much of anything, especially now. Someone else is saying, well, I'm not in a position to get beside myself. I don't know if anyone even acknowledges that I even exist, especially now. Let me ask you this, have you ever forgiven that person who hurt you so badly that you swore by all heaven and earth that you would never speak to them again in this life or the life to come? Unforgiveness is a form of pride. If you have not forgiven your neighbor, you have become self-righteous. That is pride. It's almost like you're saying, they are not worthy of my forgiveness as if you were worthy of God's forgiveness. What about that self-righteous brother in the story of the prodigal son? He was so stuck on how good of a son he had been that he failed to rejoice in the salvation of his brother. We have to be careful that we aren't caught in that same old trick bag. For example, what if a brother or a sister had fallen away, came back into the ark of safety with the Lord, And instead of us rejoicing in their return, all we can think about is all the trouble they caused before they left. That is pride. It is not our place to judge. It is our place to receive them with open arms, just as the Father does. Another example is religious pride. We think our church or denomination that we serve is the right one. So much so we criticize other denominations and churches by way of comparing our worship experiences with others. We compare our building and equipment against others. We compare our talents and knowledge against others. We compare our ability to get finances against other churches. All of this puts us in a position to look down on others as if we have arrived, but what we're really doing is giving Satan access. There are numerous potential sources of pride that we can identify. One is fame and prestige. This was Uzziah's problem in the Bible. His fame spread far and wide. But after Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall, according to Second Chronicles chapter 26, verses 15 through 16. When we are catapulted into prominence, our self-regard tends to go along for the ride. The next one is gifts and abilities. Like money, gifts and abilities allow us to rely on ourselves rather than the Lord. Giftedness gives us the illusion of self-determination and control and lures us into feeling like we have brought about our own well-being. Piety and Devotion. Smug spirituality is another source of pride. God, I thank you that I am not like the other men. The self-righteous Pharisee loudly prays. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all that I get. Meanwhile, the tax collector stands at a distance. His eyes is pointed to the ground and quietly asks for God's undeserved mercy. I tell you, says Jesus, that this man, rather than the other one, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted, according to Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. Even our relationship with the Lord can become a source of pride. It happens the moment we look to our consistent quiet times, our zealous witnessing, our sacrificial giving, and our faithful ministry. Yes, even our godly humility as evidence, not to the grace of God, but of our own virtue. When the disciples returned after being sent out by Jesus to heal the sick, they were rejoicing that even the demons submitted to them in the name of Jesus. Jesus' response was, Do not rejoice that the Spirit submitted to you, but rather rejoice that your names are written in heaven. I believe that Jesus was dealing with the potential of pride right there. The dangers of arrogance and pride are well documented. Pride is not only dangerous, it is sin. Pride and arrogance involve a denial of our place as creatures living in a world shaped and governed by the creator. Pride and arrogance, I repeat, involve a denial of our place as creatures, living in a world shaped and governed by the creator. Pride as a self-exalted attitude is wrong. God wants us to have a healthy sense of pride and to find joy in what he is doing in our lives. As arrogance, pride also is a source of sin. Only humility keeps us responsive to the Lord and his word. The writings of Paul in Philippians chapter 2 verses 3 through 7 tells us to "...do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves." Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant. Humility is the opposite of pride. James tells us that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. The best example of humility in my mind is when Jesus was in the upper room with his disciples. He knew the time for him to die was right upon him. Nevertheless, he prepared himself to serve the disciples, beginning with washing their feet. The Bible states that Jesus, having loved his own while he was in the world, now showed them the full extent of his love. Let's dwell on that for a moment. You know that you're about to die, and you feel like serving. You know that you're about to be betrayed, and you feel like serving. You know the very one who said that he will never leave your side will deny you, and you feel like serving. You're going to show them the full extent of your love and not the full extent of your wrath and your anger? Well, my dear brothers and sisters, what do you think? Is this true humility? Do you think that you could be so humble? As people of God, we should be able to do just what Jesus did. But for those of us who have a hard time being humble, love would be the furthest thing from our mind. And serving would not even be a consideration. A person of status and authority in the world would not be caught in a million years serving anyone that should be serving him or her. But the people of God are supposed to live by different standards than the world. If this were you, what position would you take? Would you do what Jesus did or would you be taking off your shoes waiting for your foot washing? We need to be real in our hearts because guess what? God knows the truth anyway. If we're not willing to humble ourselves and be honest, God knows how to humble us. The Bible constantly admonishes us to be humble. We really don't want the Lord to humble us. If you remember, he humbled the children of Israel by testing them for 40 years in the wilderness. Check it out in Deuteronomy, the eighth chapter. Humility is not a dirty word. If we put it simply, it means acts of submission. If you know who you are in Christ and the price that he paid for you, humility becomes a part of your lifestyle. Jesus was confident of his relationship with the Father. He knew who he was and what he had come to do. Washing the disciples' feet didn't make him any less of the person than God had called him to be. We need to come to that same realization that Jesus had on the day that he washed the disciples' feet. In fact, Jesus told his disciples that he was setting an example that they should follow. The words that Jesus spoke then are just as effective for us to apply today. If we choose to serve, it allows us to stay comfortably in charge. We decide when, where, and who we will serve. This kind of service actually produces pride rather than humility because the focus remains on what is good for us. On the other hand, when we choose to be a servant, we have placed ourselves on call to the needs of others. Jesus once told the disciples, Whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. Humility means letting the Lord call the shots as we serve him. He tells us what to do, and we do it. We submit completely and totally to his plan and not our own plan. James tells us that if we choose to be a friend of the world, we become an enemy of God. He gives us several directives in chapter 4. He tells us to submit to God, resist the devil, come near to God, and he will come near to you. He tells us to wash our hands and purify our hearts. And finally, he tells us that if we humble ourselves before the Lord, he will lift us up. Humility is not an option for those who know God, for those who receive his blessings and bear lasting fruit for his kingdom. Without humility, there can be no abiding in God's presence or experience of his favor. Without it, there can be no abiding faith, no abiding love, joy, or strength. Only the person who acknowledges and who acts in total dependence on the Lord will experience God's full working in and through his life. Now there are a few lessons on humility that we can leave with today. The first one is never despise the time it takes to prepare yourself for ministry and never assume it's too late to serve. The church and the world are well able to wait until God has fully equipped you. Number two, we will often be tempted to tell friends and fellow believers when we feel we have been mistreated. This will only make matters worse. We need to recognize God's hand in all that happens and honor him by bringing our complaints as well as our praises to him. Number three, we are not called to treat others as they treat us, but rather to treat others as God for Christ's sake has treated us. Number four, the success of what we do does not indicate God's pleasure. What pleases the Lord is our obedience, whatever may come. That is the word for today. The message entitled, Time Out for Pride, Time In for Humility. Finally, it's time to decide whether your faith is in this crazy world or is your faith in the God that made this crazy world. Again, if it's the latter, then you well know the God that made this world is the only one that can fix it and guide us when things appear to be broken. Thank you for listening. Have a blessed day. Be safe and God bless.